Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Here goes Allen. He's going to take over. He hurdles and picks up the first down. And sometimes there are just those plays that make that season-ending highlight reel, and that is going to be one of them. You want to talk about having your teammates fall in love with a quarterback? You have somebody who first can do that, and second is willing to do that. That is awesome. Send that man to the Paris Olympics. That was just one of the many memorable plays from a memorable Sunday of NFL action five weeks in, and it feels like one of the most exciting seasons ever. He's Mike Golick. I'm Mike Florio. It's Mike along with Mike, week five edition. And Mike, it is the most exciting season ever. 18 games now, the most ever in five weeks of the first five weeks of a season, that is, that have been decided at the end of over, at the end of regulation or in overtime, eighteen. That's never happened before in a five week stretch to start a season. So here we go. Yeah, listen, I, I love the close games. I'm not while most people are a fan of very high scoring games as a former defensive player sitting in the meeting rooms after it happens. I'm not so much because a game I think can still be good low scoring, even though people like the high scoring. And, oh, my God, what was with the kickers yesterday in the Green Bay-Cincinnati game that I know we'll get to? That was unbelievable. Yeah, unreal. The missed kicks there. 12 missed extra points throughout the league over the course of the full day. I remember when they moved that snap point for the extra point from the two back to the 15 and they started to have some struggles that had been ironed out I think it was Jay Feely who explained you take away that automatic kind of ability for the kicker to come out and make an easy kick and that you you make it into a field goal and every time now that you send a guy out there for an extra point it's like a normal field goal and we saw a lot of those missed yesterday and some some normal field goals we will talk about that later because that was one of the crazier moments yep. earlier in the day let's begin though where the day ended in kansas city oh. the chiefs hosting the bills and this is the twice 
This is the second time or the twice time, as the case may be, so far this year <laughs> that we've seen the Chiefs lose to a team that they had previously mastered. They had mastered the Ravens. Ravens found a way to beat them on Sunday night. It was a close one that could have gone either way. Last night wasn't nearly as close, although the Chiefs tried. You know, they, they've got that ability to score 28 points like that if they want to. They tried yeah. to muster the comeback, but at the end of the day, 38-20, Bills are 4-1, Chiefs are 2-3, and three, last place in the AFC West, and it felt like a changing of the guard game last night at Arrowhead Stadium. Well, well, I think the big thing that we have to see is, is remember, teams don't stay stagnant. I've, I've talked about this the last few weeks. You, you see the best team in the AFC have been Kansas City. You see they score a lot of points, so that's what you have to do to combat that. You can sit there and try and get a great defense as well to slow them down like we saw Tampa Bay's defense do last year in the Super Bowl. But for the most part, you have to score. And that's what we're seeing out of these teams. And one of the biggest differences for Kansas City, Mike, is they're hurting themselves. I mean, uh, at this point, Patrick Mahomes has six interceptions. He had six interceptions all of last year, so he's already equaled that. They're blowing coverages left and right. So at least from, from – so I'll try and, and do a calming thing, I think, for the, for the Chief fans. When you see a blown coverage, it's one thing you say, okay, we can fix that. Legarius Sneed blows the coverage. Daniel Sorensen uh, a couple coverages. You know, so you see that and you say, okay – we can fix that at least because that, that's, a, that's a mental error that can be fixed. It wasn't you physically getting beaten over and over and over again on the field, which they're experiencing more of this year. But what they're doing are more things against them. While teams are getting better around them, they're also hurting themselves more this year than they've done in previous years. So you put those two together, and all of a sudden, you know, they're not just sitting high and muddy in the AFC anymore. And in the aftermath of Super Bowl 55, when there was a deliberate effort to make the offensive line better after the way that Patrick Mahomes was chased around by the Buccaneers front four, maybe they didn't put as much into getting the defense to maintain or improving it as they could have. It would have helped to have had Chris Jones last night. That's a huge loss for the yeah. Chiefs. He was out due to injury. But that defense feels like it has dipped. They fixed the offensive line to a certain extent, but the defense has dipped, and it showed last night. It also helps for an offense to have Josh Allen when going against the Chiefs or anyone else. Let's hear quickly from Emmanuel Sanders on Josh Allen's performance last night, a performance that makes him one of the shortlist MVP candidates. It's just it's ridiculous what he's doing out there, even him jumping over defender. I mean, he was just on a whole another level tonight, and few times, yeah, he my teammate, and yeah, we, we, we joke a lot, but I, I became a fan for a little bit. I was like, snap out of <laughs> snap out of You know, they had gotten very careful the past couple of years about Josh Allen running the ball, and, and I feel like they deliberately hold that back until they get into single elimination mode because you don't want to get the guy hurt. But we first got a glimpse right. of Josh Allen's running abilities Early in his career, the Bills were 17-point underdogs in Minnesota in September of 2018, and we see Josh Allen hurtling the likes of Anthony Barr. We see him diving into the end zone. We see him doing all sorts of things that weren't part of the pre-draft discussion. The pre-draft discussion was, this guy's got a giant arm. He just isn't very accurate. Well, he wasn't very accurate because he didn't have very good receivers around him, but he can do it all. And and he runs selectively, and he runs smartly, Mike. We talk about quarterbacks get injured all the time. He does not put himself in a bad position. He, he, he knows when to run, knows when when not to run, and then knows when to do the slide. 
or get out of bounds when that play is over. So this is, I think, the progression of a quarterback, which it's been incredible for him because there's not a lot of times you see a bad completion percentage in college, especially at a lower level in college, then come up and be you know, a better completion percentage, and all of a sudden you're saying, okay, that's, that could be a strong point for him. So what happens early? You mentioned early on in his career the completion percentage wasn't great. What he did is he trusts his legs more than the confidence he had in throwing the ball down the field because he can run. So at the end of that rookie year, he ran a lot because the passing wasn't as good. But credit to the coaching staff and to him for how the completion percentage and his passing game and his passing acumen has all improved in the short time he's been in the NFL. So now, because he's throwing better, he has more confidence in that. There's no need to say, I need to rely on my legs more than my arm because of the way my game is. Now we can rely on his arm just as well, and his legs are like icing on the cake, where you can jump over a defender, you know, make that crucial first down or get what you need to get. You know, I look at the other of that, and we'll talk about it later, is a Trey Lance. Trey Lance hasn't played football in a long time. He got the start, and he ran the ball a lot. Now, they had a lot of runs for him, but he was taken off and he was running because I think right now he has more confidence in the fact that he can run than making some of the throws. That was Josh Allen early in his career, but Josh has blossomed into, and you said it, as an MVP candidate, without a doubt he is, but that's just I think that's just the progression he has made. Again, kudos to him and the coaching staff for the steps he's taken. Yeah, the dedication and the commitment year-round to improving his throwing mechanics, his throwing abilities, and it really started last year when you could sense that the offense was running through him, that he was becoming one of those quarterbacks who, who is the centerpiece of the offense, and he's figured it out, and he knows how to, to deliver the ball the right way, to deliver it accurately, to make good decisions, to use good mechanics, and it helps to have an arm that can do that with a flick of the wrist to a guy who springs open, but not a lot of quarterbacks can that quickly and that suddenly. It's almost a Marino release where when he decides to let it go, it is gone, Mike. Oh, without question. And also because of his size, it's kind of like he has no – it's like like Ben. You know, it's kind of with with your size, you'll just stand right in the pocket. Because you know you have the size to shake people off, but then unlike a guy like Ben Roethlisberger, he can move. He can get out of the pocket. He can run when he has to. He kind of has the whole thing working for him right now. He can stand with his size in the pocket. He can move a little bit if he needs to, or he can run uh, and and he can take off and kind of get the job done as well. Uh, So he is putting it all together, and they've done a nice job building around him. Obviously getting digs there uh, when, when they did last year was a huge part for this offense. But let's not forget, You do need another side of the ball. The defense is playing extremely well right now. So when I sit there and talk about, okay, the high-scoring teams are usually the big teams, well, what can be the difference in those games? It's going to be the defensive side of the ball to make that stop or two, to not completely stop a great offense, but to slow it down a little bit. And Buffalo has that ability. They, you know, they get a pick six. Uh, yesterday, Micah Hyde gets a pick six uh, for, for the offense, you know. And, and, and remember, KC was coming back in this one. It was 31-20. to 20. They got an interception, uh, but Frank Clark had a roughing the passer, so that hurts it as we watch Micah Hyde's pick six off a, you know, off a pass that, that should have been caught. 
I mean, it's one of those where, you know, you, you got to make the play, and Tyreek Hill doesn't. It goes off his hands into Micah Hyde for an easy pick. But the defense making plays, again, that's what you saw last year with Tampa Bay. We kept talking about Brady and the offense, but that defense was making plays, and that can turn out, even though in a higher-scoring game, someone's got to make some stops. And right now, they have the defense that's able to do that. The, the the point when it comes to beating the Chiefs has been you figure out a way to outscore them. I think that's something you've said a couple of times so far this year. When you don't need to score more than 20 at Arrowhead yeah. Stadium, that's a pretty good night, and that's ultimately what it came down to. Now, look, I, I, I know we're going to talk about this at some point. Let's go ahead and talk about it now um, because the Chiefs were trying to make it interesting, down 31-20. They were doing their best to try to pull their way back into the game and have that moment where we have seen it so many times where they can score a bunch of points quickly. And then came the flag when it looked like the Chiefs were getting the defense off the field. It looked like they had an interception, the roughing the passer flag for Frank Clark. Now, And it, it wasn't the phantom roughing that we've seen so many times this year. I understand the point when you see the scoop. Remember all the discussion a couple of years ago about the scoop of the player of the quarterback's leg off the ground? That's, that's what Frank Clark kind of did. But still, it's the scoop and then all the body weight. I don't see all the body weight. There's a little bit of giving him the business with the right arm, but... I, you know, I, Mike, it, I, it just, it's sad for me. And I know Bills fans get mad because, like, well, there were a lot of bad calls. How about the bad holding call just before that? I, I get all that, but this one moment that we can crystallize it down to that moment robbed everyone of what could have been a hell of an exciting finish because the Chiefs were ready to kick it into overdrive at that point. Listen, you, you don't have to certainly you know go to me on that point. You know where I stand, and I think I think some of it is absolutely ridiculous. Now, when I, when I was playing, we had a guy in Clyde Simmons, uh, defensive end, phenomenal pass rusher, who would body weight the quarterbacks all the time, and it was completely legal to do. And I get the reason why they don't want anymore. Kind of, you know, I mean, there still has to be some some you know, aggressive, you know, physical part of the game. But I get, hey, the quarterback's throwing the ball. You can't just lift him and dump him. Well, that was kind of a two-way street there. The quarterback's throwing the ball. His momentum is already going that way when Clark's coming the other way. So we kind of caught him in the air a little bit. And then they just want to see these guys when they're going down to put their hands out. Though I remember a couple of years ago, you know, I I saw a roughing the passer where a, a, a defender did put his hands out to try and not put the weight on him and still got the flag. So there is inconsistency to it. It does drive me nuts because it was a good rush. The player stayed down low like you want him to do. He didn't go up high to the head. And then I know the shoulder came down on him. The left arm wasn't wrapped around either or driving in. But they want to see some kind of effort from a defensive player, Mike, in a bang-bang play, in a quick play that shows they're showing mercy for the quarterback. I mean, that, that's what they want to see. And if they don't see it, they're going to throw the flag. So I can't stand it. I'll, I'll complain about it all the time, and I'll get yelled at the, you're a former defensive player, one of those guys that doesn't mind seeing, you know, so I don't want to see anybody get hurt. But there are certain parts of the game and that, that, that should be there. And, and I think that was one that didn't break the, the intent of what that rule is meant to be. You know, a lot of times I'll see a defensive player make a play and get flagged, and the obvious question is what should he have done differently? Right. And Sometimes the explanation is there's nothing he could have done differently 
stuff happens. And really, what could Frank Clark have done differently there? He's trying to get to the quarterback. He's trying to get home. How is he supposed to know the ball is gone? It was a flash. It was there. I mean, if Josh Allen has that ball in his hands and that's how he gets tackled, I doubt that's a flag. And it wasn't late. And it wasn't overly violent. It was just one of those things like we saw back in week one when I think it was Jameis. No, it was uh, Zadarius Smith that applied the hit to Jameis Winston. Yeah, and it's like it just looks like a penalty in today's NFL, even if when you break it down, it isn't. You can watch it in slow motion and say, oh, I see a little bit of this and oh, I see a little bit of that. But full speed, real time. I I think we're asking these guys to do way too much. Let's hear from Andy Reid about that critical roughing the passer call that, that, that kept the Chiefs from possibly stealing a win. It's a shame that that happens. We did. We had the momentum coming back our way. And, um, you know, it's not the first time, but that, that's, uh, you know, it's a shame. It is a shame. And I've joked in the past that they should just make the well, roughing the passer rule the same as roughing the kicker and roughing the punter. I feel like sometimes that's how they view it. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it, it, it is. And. There's a lot of times I don't blame the refs, again, because they get the mandate. And, and again, as I keep saying, they get graded every single game. And, you know, when you see those referees in and officials in the playoffs in the Super Bowl, that's because they're grading out pretty well. So they know they'll get graded down, and they're, they're tell, told, throw the flag. This was just how it looked. You're exactly right, Mike. I mean, momentum of the quarterback throwing, momentum of Clark hitting him where he did, brought him in the air, and then I, I'm sure if that left arm of his went out before Allen hit the ground and made it look like he was trying not to land on him, that that's what they want them to do. That's what they want these defenders to do is pull off instead of driving them into the ground. That's, that's the rule now. So that's, I believe, the circumstances of looking like he was in the air and tipping them and then not pulling off like he wasn't driving them into the ground. And again, you know, they're seeing it in fast motion. We see it in slow motion, but he's throwing the flag, you know, and that's what they want to see and that's what they want to change. And it's, it's hard as hell to change something like that, but that's what they've been asking DBs to do with their level of where they hit. They've been asking the defense to change the way they go about it. Some I understand, but some of it is going too far. And this would be a great occasion to have someone like VP of Officiating Walt Anderson on NFL Network or here or ESPN or somewhere to explain exactly what they're looking for, exactly what they want players to do and not do. But this is one of the realities of the NFL as of this moment. They don't say much. They hardly say anything. Keep your head low, keep your mouth shut, and it never really becomes a full-blown controversy because you don't add to it with your words, with your attempt to explain it, Mike. And we just have to adjust to that. It's a mistake, and they're setting themselves up for a major controversy, but there's no transparency, there's no accountability externally where we can all understand it. I think that's part of the problem. They don't help the average fan understand exactly what you can and can't do. I agree, and just so everybody knows, the team will hear. The team will hear from right. the league because I, I'm sure the, the, that Kansas City is saying, okay, you tell us what, and they'll give them an explanation. You know, don't drive them into the ground. You know, pull your arm or whatever, whatever they're going to tell them, they do tell the team. But to your point, it would be nice, you know, because you are 
while you are a multi-billion dollar league, you are concerned about public relations at times as well. So why not be open about it and explain it? You Again, we may not like it, but at least there's something about it being explained to you. That's how it always was with a coach. I may not like what he says about me, but at least I know it. At least he said it to me. So while it comes down to are we owed that from the league for us as the media and or fans to know. No, we're not owed it, but I think it would go a, a ways in at least us going, okay, all right, well, that's their rule. They defined it. I don't like the rule, and I don't like how they defined it, but at least they explained it. I, I think people would like that, and the league is just basically like, no, we're not going to do it. We'll tell the team if they ask. Other than that, you know what? We're, 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 not, we're not letting anybody know. You know who is owed it, though? And this is the reality for the NFL. All those people who are responding in the desired way to the various commercials that mention at the end that they are official sports betting partners of the National Football League. Those are the people who are owed and will be owed the explanations because those people are the ones who are carving off some of their discretionary income, and hopefully it's only their discretionary income to wager yeah. on the outcomes of games. They are owed the transparency. And the problem with transparency, Mike, is sometimes, if you make a full commitment to transparency, sometimes the answer is, we just screwed that one up. Nothing we can tell yeah. you. Yeah, and there, there's nothing. And, and I've always found, man, and, and I've, I, this is the term I've always used, is wear the hat. We, you know, I did it in meetings, you know, all my life. You know, if it was your fault, you see it right there on film. It's not like you can go, uh, um, uh, I don't know. No, 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 that's your fault. You know, and you usually know it at the time. Wear the hat of responsibility. Guess what? You don't get every call right. And, and, and I don't expect every official to get every call right because they're bang-bang plays. Unless you can review it and, and be able to change it that way, you're not going to get every call right. So there's nothing wrong with saying we screwed that one up. Let me tell you, uh, through the teams I played for, we've gotten enough letters and teams get enough letters on Mondays. There's probably email now or, or a text, you know, about, yeah, yeah, we screwed that one up. Again, the teams are told that. The teams are told when the officials or a call went against them, but nobody else knows really outside of that unless the team wants to make it public. Winning the hat or wearing the hat of responsibility sounds a lot like the dunce cap they used to have to wear back in the day. But regardless, I like that phrase. And <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, Chiefs quarterback, more than willing to wear the hat of responsibility for his own shortcomings. He's got an issue with turnovers. Here he is after the game talking about that. Yeah, I mean, it starts with me. I mean, I think the three of them were on me. I mean, the interceptions and then the, the fumble at the end of the game. Um, and so I have to correct that. I have to be better. Uh, it's something that I've, I've not usually done in my career, but I have to reevaluate where I'm at, uh, what decisions I'm making. Um, so uh, once we do, we do that, I think we don't, we don't kind of hurt ourselves. I think we'll find ways to score points. Um, and so, uh, I mean, turnovers are a huge deal in this league. The turnover margin usually, usually decides games. Um, and so it's something we have to correct as a team if we want to we want to win these football games. You know, the challenge for Patrick Mahomes, he's a guy who became a superstar with a lightning strike and it happens fast and it's exciting and it and it and it's fun to watch. And now he's forced to be patient. That's something he told me last week after they beat the Eagles. As I've gotten older in the league, you're 26, but he's been around and he understands that you have to take what they're giving. You have to run the football. You have to take the, the, the field in chunks that are smaller than what you're used to, and that's part of this tension that that Chiefs offense is going through, the balance of of looking for that, that quick six 
versus being patient. And I think we saw some of that tension last night, especially when he's going toe-to-toe with Josh Allen, who's making it look as easy as Patrick Mahomes used to make it look, Mike. Well, yeah, yeah, listen, a couple things is he's right about the turnovers. They, they have been detrimental since the day this, this game was invented, uh, and that will never change. Again, I'll say last year he threw 38 touchdowns and six interceptions. This year, what does he have? 16 touchdowns and six interceptions. He'll get to the same number of touchdown passes, probably more. But the next interception is the mo- more than he had last year. And it's leaning toward, I, I, I highly doubt, or I wouldn't expect he's going to go the rest of the way without throwing an interception. The fumbles. And again, with teams scoring more now, I used to bring up the fact that the greatest show on turf with Kurt Warner, they had turnovers every now and then, but they didn't care so much because they were scoring so much more than, than anybody else. Well, other teams are scoring now as much or more as Kansas City right now, so they can't afford them as much. And oh, by the way, your defense is bad right now. Your defense is just flat out bad right now in giving up yards, blowing coverages. Again, something that you can correct, uh, but they are just a not a very good defense right now. So when you're hoping for that stop or two, you're getting it on the Bills side. You're not getting it on the Chiefs side. And uh, we are seeing the Bills have balance offensively and defensively. We're seeing them score a lot of points and not give up relatively the same number. And we look at, I still don't know how they lost to the Steelers week one. It becomes yeah. more and more glaring as we move forward. But 35 nothing, 43-21, that was a 22-point margin over Washington. 40 nothing over Houston, and now 38-20, an 18-point margin. They are the only dominant team right now in the NFL. I thought the Chiefs would find a way to win it last night at home, but the Bills dominant again. And when you peek ahead on their schedule, plenty more opportunities to continue yep. to be dominant. They're four and one. The Chargers are four and one, but it sure feels like the Bills are the class of the AFC. And I only wish they played the Chargers at some point in the regular season. Yeah. We may get a matchup in January. Yeah, yeah, without question. I mean, and we're obviously going to get to that game with the, with the Chargers and, and what they did and the amount of points that they can score. Absolutely amazing what they do. They're, like I said, there's a few teams in the AFC like that. So, you know, I, and I guess if you're a fan of, of the Chiefs or of, you know, you're not as happy because you were dominant, but if you're a fan of football – you know, like me that doesn't have a favorite team out there, I love seeing more teams involved and more teams with a chance, and that's exactly what we're getting in the AFC. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, the Bills, uh, I think, are potentially going to run away with the one seed and the bye that goes along with it, and then the road to L.A. may go through Buffalo, which will be not an easy (laughs) place to play in January. And I think it was – I think I remember seeing – the, the image of the scoreboard, the first time they went to the Super Bowl, 51-3 to over the Raiders, something obscene like that in, in January uh, when, they, when they started that first run of four straight Super Bowl appearances, which I still think folks should really appreciate the fact that the Bills were able to load like it my, up and uh, go my- back every single year. My brother Bob was on that Raider team. <laughs> he, he was there. <laughs> he was there, uh, and uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a, a, a destruction, no doubt about it. 
You mentioned the Chargers. They moved to 4-1 and one with the victory at home, one of the most exciting games of the day over the Cleveland Browns. We were trying to figure out last week, is this the most consequential game ever between the Browns and the Chargers? Because it's rare that they're both good at the same time. They both came into the game very good, both at 3-1, and one, and back and forth they went. The Chargers down 14 points in the second half, but ended up getting it done. And, you know, I've been praising the Browns' defense. They had given up a total of 13 points in 120 wow. minutes before this game. They gave up 26 in the fourth quarter alone, but that's the Chargers offense. It is incredible. And Justin Herbert injecting himself very quickly into the conversation for not top 10, not top five. He's pushing himself into the conversation for top one, Mike. He has 11 300-yard games already. 11. I mean, it's his second year. It's ridiculous what he's doing right now. Austin Eckler has been incredible with three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And the thing that amazes me is you said it. This Cleveland Browns defense had been playing extremely well this year, and Herbert and that offense went absolutely right through him. And Herbert, another one who can run, another big quarterback who can get out and run and cause damage as well. So they're one of those teams we keep talking about which teams well they're one of those teams but and and what a race it would be what a difference of who holds the one seed are you traveling to LA or are you traveling to Buffalo and what an advantage that could be or a disadvantage for teams especially if they have to go to Buffalo so I know it's early in the season. We're just past the quarter pole. I know that gets odd with the 17 games and such, but that's what you start to kind of visually line up in your head uh, in that game. And Cleveland, listen, Mike, I still put them right there. I mean, first week they were right there with the Chiefs scoring points. They can score points. They're just doing it in a different way because Baker Mayfield is not having a great passing year by any stretch. I know he's got the labor issue in his non-throwing shoulder. They are running the ball extremely well. So it was a team living on running the ball and playing defense. And unfortunately for the Browns yesterday, they didn't play defense very well. And and the offense still puts up. I mean, 42 points is a hell of a lot of points without question. All that being said, Mike, you have a game that's high scoring like this back and forth. You find moments. You find moments in there saying, okay, what was the thought process going on in here? And for me, it was that that possession by Cleveland with a little over three minutes to go. You need to keep the ball, okay? You need to hang on to the ball. You're winning by a point. You just got a gift there, the fact that they missed the extra point and you're up one. Keep the ball. So you start with the ball in your own 14-yard line and you run the ball and you force the Chargers to use a timeout, okay. And then, so there's a little over three minutes. Then you pass the ball for an incompletion. It's third and nine. Now you've passed it. And it's incomplete, so you stop the clock. You have not made them use a timeout. You either are going to run for three plays to try and get your 10 yards, and if nothing else, make the Chargers burn all their timeouts. They're still going to have some time left on the clock. Or you really got to try and get that first down. So you run a play, and then you pass, and it's incomplete. You stop the clock. Go for the first down. It's third and nine, and now it's just under three minutes to go, and the clock has stopped. And you run the ball again. I know you you ran it well, but, I mean, the Chargers were sitting there waiting for it, and you gained a couple of yards. You have to punt the ball away. You have a chance to burn the clock down, run the clock out, quite honestly, with your running game if you mix it up right. You give the ball back on three plays and just over a minute of time. I, I didn't understand that drive at all. Do one or the other. Run all the time to burn the timeout to, or burn some clock or 
pass and try and get that first down. It's like they, they got stuck right in between and gave the ball back to a team that had been going up and down the field, especially in the fourth quarter. I, I didn't understand that train of thought of not trying to really go get that first down on third and nine once you put yourself in that position. You know, it's almost better for the Chargers that they missed the extra point because it put the Browns into that weird mindset. What Load, are we really yeah. doing here? Yeah, and we've seen that a few times this year where a team gets a gift and it's not quite sure what to do with it. And it puts it in this out of the blue, we're going to be conservative. I remember that Thursday night game between the Giants and Washington when they got the turnover and they didn't, they didn't push for the touchdown. They got very conservative and were just – just settling for the field goal, and then that burned them on the back end. Uh, I just I've seen that a few times this year, where a team goes into a shell when it thinks, okay, whoa, 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 this just fell our way. Let's let's be careful here. Wait, wait, let's be careful. No, don't be careful. Do what you've done all game. Do what you know how to do. And you're right, third and nine. You run the ball, you bleed off 40 seconds, but you get the first down, you're bleeding off more than 40 seconds, you're bleeding off the rest yeah. of the clock, and it's 42-41, and you're 4-1. Everyone's saying, oh my gosh, the Browns went to L.A. and they beat the Chargers, and the Browns are the toast of the league, and it's maybe the Browns and the Bills in the AFC Championship. And uh, I agree with you. I, I think too many times y- y- you allow, as a head coach, that, that we got to be careful mindset to creep in and you forget that the opposite of being careful is what's made your team as good as it is don't be careful go out and do the things that you always do listen you you can tell by play calls if a team is trying to protect their lead or if a team is trying to go for the win and and again if this was a 10-7 game you might think differently if offenses aren't going up and down the field you might think differently and says okay We'll give them the ball back. That's fine. We won't, we won't try and, and get a turnover. We'll keep the clock running or we'll make them use their timeouts. We'll punt the ball back because our defense has only given up seven points or whatever. That's a different story. But that's not what it was here. And once you threw the ball on second down, you, you basically said, okay, well, we're not making them burn their timeouts now because it was an incomplete pass. So you put yourself in that third and nine position. I don't get it. But, but, but you're right. I mean, you put 42 points on the board. You're up by one. You know you can move the ball. You've done it. Now you need 10 yards and maybe another 10 yards, and you win the game. I, I just, I'm with you. They got a gift, and they were kind of looking at it and saying, how do I unwrap this thing? What do I do with it? And they, they kind of fumbled around with it and, and gave the Chargers a chance. Yeah, it's it's that's funny. It makes me think of the kid on Christmas morning who's ripping through all of his presents, and then he gets one that oh, yeah. he thinks may be really good, and he's like, "Be you know, it's like diffusing a bomb instead of just ripping the damn thing open. Keep ripping them open. You're doing it all day long. There's no reason to stop." And the Browns were doing it. And look, they made a piece of history yesterday that they probably won't hang a banner for even the Colts I think would not hang a banner for this one although they would be tempted first team in NFL history to lose a game despite scoring more than 40 points and having zero turnovers they lost the game with 42 and no fumbles no interceptions never happened before in the 102 season history of the NFL Mike 
I mean, it, it was it was amazing. And I, just some of the other things in this game. Listen, this was like a basketball game. One tie, eight lead changes. And then the most amazing thing I thought, Mike, I don't know what you thought, but when San, when, when the San Diego almost did it, swear jar or something, uh, when Los Angeles, when, when Eckler had that run toward the end zone and he slid to stay in bounds, knowing, you know, so they could burn the clock out and, and run it all the way down and then just kick a field goal and win the game. That was the smart thing. So he slides on like the three-yard line. So then they run the next play and he goes right up the gut. And he is not going to run in. He's kind of bouncing around and then he was going to hit a knee. The Browns grabbed him. Now, I've seen their own team push a guy in the end zone, never the opposing team. The Browns grabbed Austin Eckler and dragged him into the end zone to let him score. There must have been six Cleveland Browns dragging him in the end zone, and Eckler was disgusted with himself after the game, saying, that's on me. i got to hit the ground. i got to be done, just like he did the other play. But it gave, So it gave Cleveland a chance with the ball, which they didn't do anything with. But that was so bizarre. I've never seen that. Every single Cleveland Browns player knew exactly what to do as Eckler was just walking on the sideline, shaking his head, going, okay, I did the right thing the earlier in the, the, the earlier play, but that one I needed to get down. That, that was a bizarre play. That was shades of Todd Gurley last year, although he didn't get helped into the end zone. He just pulled up the brakes a little bit too late and tumbled right. into the end zone late yeah. in the game for the Falcons. Yeah. It would have made a difference if he hadn't scored the touchdown. But Eckler had a big day. Mike Williams had eight catches for 165 yards, two touchdowns, 122 total yards, and three scores for Eckler, including the one he didn't want. The Chargers offense is very balanced, <laughs> something we've talked about before. I mean, and this sets up great for Eckler. Uh, when you've got Keenan Allen, when you've got Mike Williams, when you got Justin Herbert, it, it makes it a lot easier for the running back to gain yards and score touchdowns, rushing and receiving. And this Chargers team, you know, I, I had pegged them as a, a top 10 team before the season. The big question was, can they stay healthy? And and we're only five games in, and we see that the, the injury bug is going to be flying around the entire NFL, yeah. and you never know when and where it's going to land. But so far, so good for the Chargers, who uh, you know have shown that they belong. And uh, if they can stay healthy, there's no reason to think they won't stay there, Mike. Yeah, it's you know it's another team that you know we a few teams revamped their offensive line. The Chargers were one of them, and and it's worked for them as far as protection on Herbert and as far as the running game as well. So you're right; they're incredibly they're they're very balanced. Um, I would say the most balanced team is probably going to be the Buffalo Bills uh, in the entire NFL, not just the AFC, but the Chargers as far as offense and defense. But, yeah, I mean, uh, the Chargers have a good offensive line. They have their stars. They get the ball to them. They find a way to get the ball to them. You can't take out everybody on the offense, and these guys are making plays. So, Herbert, again, for a guy – who the way he got his job last year, you knew eventually he was going to be the come the starter, but the way he got it and the way he just stepped in and has been, I think everybody was just like, wow, okay. Maybe some people are going to say they saw it coming. Maybe they did. I didn't see this coming this fast with this quarterback. And they've got the Ravens in Baltimore next week. They get a benefit there because the Ravens play tonight. They get their bye after that, and then a game against the Patriots. There are a lot of winnable games on the schedule for the Chargers, just like for the Bills, and it could be those two are the ones that end up on a collision course. And for the Browns, look, they're going to be fine. They're going to keep moving forward. They finally got something great out of David Njoku, who was one of three first-round picks for them yeah. back in 2017. 
After the 2018 season, when Freddie Kitchens became the coach, that's kind of when Njoku fell into the doghouse, and they never really used him the right way. They never figured out what to do with him. Well, they figured it out yesterday, 149 yards and a touchdown. Nick Chubb had 161 rushing. Mayfield, even with his struggles this year, his inconsistencies, he had 305 passing yards. The one the one issue they have, Mike, and it's becoming glaring, when you put up 42 points and Odell Beckham Jr. has two catches for 20 yards, something ain't right there. Something is not right there. And I I said before the season that Beckham is a candidate to be traded if the Browns continue to to get it done on offense and he's not a big part of it. And here we are, five games in, he's not a big part of that offense. And I just can't help but wonder whether somebody out there is going to say, man, what we could do with Odo Beckham Jr. and if they're going to call him at some point over the next three weeks. Yeah, they, they listen. They have a lot of weapons, you know. And Odell first, you know, has been injured, so hasn't been part of the process. First game back, he had some catches, but yeah, he has not been a big part of that offense. It was good to see Njoku finally because he's such an athletic tight end, a guy you can use, you know, in great matchup situations uh, if he can start to flourish. But I, I'm with you. I mean, it just hasn't been with Beckham uh, at all. And, and and this is again an offense that leans incredibly on the running game. But we just we gave out the stat of all the yards, and you still get the loss. So while we'll talk about the offense and scoring 42 and who's the guy, if it's not going to be Beckham, who's it going to be, I don't worry about the Browns' offense at all. How bad the defense played to me. And, again, I've been in this situation, and they're going to sit in that meeting room today and just be disgusted for the fact of how good – they have been playing, and how much they let the Chargers go up and down the field. It's a horrible, horrible feeling when you're sitting there, when you live it on the field, and then you relive it again on film. That's the part that surprised me, because we talked about Cleveland being able to score points, even though, for the most part, Baker Mayfield is not the high-flying quarterback this year, and everybody was waiting for that next jump out of him. Well, that's not happening. He's been inconsistent, no doubt about it, and it is a running team that can flash uh, with the pass, but the, the, which means, to me, the defense has to be like it's been before this game, has to be putting pressure on the quarterback, hitting the quarterback, playing well against the pass. They got decimated again uh, with, with uh, Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams leaving this game, you know, in the secondary. The secondary is hurting for them again. So going forward, that's going to put more pressure on Miles Garrett and that line to get pressure on the quarterback because uh, that's the side of the ball that really needs to be playing like it was before this game instead of like they did during this game. And they get an opportunity to prove that they can make it right very soon on Sunday. The Cleveland Browns <laughs> yeah. host the unbeaten Arizona Ugh. Cardinals. And speaking of the Cardinals, let's take a break and we'll discuss how they managed to get to 5-0. and Fending off Trey Lance and the 49ers. We'll discuss that next on this Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Does it mean anything to you to have one of the best starts in franchise history at 5 Um, I, I mean, I think it's an accomplishment for the organization. Um, me personally, I don't, um, I don't know. It doesn't really do anything for me. Uh, but no, it, it's uh, yeah, it's a good thing. I mean, you know, for for us as far as the mindset goes, and we accomplished that this week. Uh, we can't get bored of winning. Um, we can't get bored of doing the little things right. And I think. Um, you know, like, like I said, today wasn't one of the flashiest wins. It wasn't the prettiest, but at the end of the day, you know, we got something. We can be happy we won. You know, if we would have lost to it, you know, everybody would have been pissed off and, and angry. So uh, it's good that we won. Very good that they won. I love Kyler Murray because he's kind of quiet. He's kind of shy. He's still young. He's still finding his way through the NFL. He doesn't need to worry about it athletically, but from a personality standpoint, I just love that kid. There's just something about him that just I, – I, I just want to protect him from the media, and I want to protect him from the fans. It's like just let him grow and let him develop in his own time because he will, because that talent will draw it out of him. And yesterday we saw it. Kind of the the ugly way, 17 to 10, not the big scoring, not the flashy plays, not what we're used to. But what we are used to is, Mike, the Cardinals finding a way to win against a desperate 49ers team that had Super Bowl aspirations and still does. But just like the Seahawks, there they are at 2 and 3 looking up at the 4 and 1 Rams and up at the 5 and 0 Cardinals. So I'll get get to the 49ers, but for Arizona, and you said it, and this is what you have to do in a long season. You got to win different ways. This was a team going into the uh, this weekend. I believe they were number one. I think right around 35 points a game that they were scoring. So, as you mentioned, they're used to scoring a lot of points. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes, you know, you get a little more of a street fight. You get a little more of of a close, low-scoring game, which this was. uh, And you find a way. You find a way to win. You know, whether it's the defensive side of the ball steps up this time or, you know, down DeAndre Hopkins makes a catch that you need to catch or Murray makes a run or a throw that you need to happen. But that's – you're going to have to learn to win that way. So that's, to me, one of the good things for this team to learn to win in a low-scoring game. You know, as far as San Francisco, what was it, 10-zip at half, they get the touchdown in the third quarter to make it that one-score game. And you have Trey Lance starting. Again, a guy who has not played a lot of football, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, getting his first start. And just what I mentioned about Josh Allen earlier in his rookie year, you saw it with Trey Lance. Trey Lance, I mean, now they had planned runs for him, which you should if you have a guy like Trey Lance and his size and the way he can run. And he was their leading rusher, and he ran the ball, what, uh, he ran the ball 16 times. And, again, more than a few of those were planned runs. But other than that, Mike, he'll take off sooner than he needs to take off. 
Uh, you know, his, his stats weren't great, but sometimes you don't just look at stats. You look at how they're playing, and he played like a young quarterback that, in my opinion, has more confidence in his legs than his arm right now. And he's got to learn a little more touch. I mean, there were short passes that he was throwing 100 miles an hour, but that's all going to come in time. So it's really hard to sit here, and, and people will do it all day, kind of dissect Trey Lance and say, okay, he did this wrong and that wrong. I mean, my God, he's, he's barely played barely played ball in the last two years. You're going to have to let him grow, and that's why I think San Francisco had done the right thing and let Garoppolo start for a team that had aspirations of moving deep into the playoffs and possibly the Super Bowl. This kid is going to grow in time without question, but right now he's going to pull the ball down and run too soon at times, and he's going to run well at times, and, and other times you're going to kind of hold your eyes and say, oh man, he took a really big hit. So it, it was fun to watch him, fun to watch, watch around. He's got a big arm, make him uh, watch him do big throws. But it's going to take time. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, see, this is why he shouldn't have been starting. You know, he wasn't able to make some of the throws or he's pulling the ball down too soon. Come on. He's just starting his professional career. I'm not expecting him to be polished. It's going to take a while for that to happen. Well, and that's why Jimmy Garoppolo was the week one starter. I think the 49ers would have preferred to flip the switch to Lance, but it took some time. And not every quarterback coming out of college is going to figure it out right away. It is going to take some time. It's a complicated offense. And you mentioned, and that's one of the criticisms Sims has had of Trey Lance, he's got one speed on so many of his throws, and it is the fastball and you have to learn how to vary your throws and vary the arm angle and vary the 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 direction of the ball and when you drop it in versus when you throw the frozen rope but it's frozen rope one after another and I'm looking at the stats out of this game this is just a weird game you mentioned Trey Lance led the 49ers with 89 rushing yards Rondell Moore led the Cardinals with rushing yards with 38 Kyler Murray, and I keep looking at this, and I think it's a misprint. He had seven rushing attempts for one net yard on the day, but that's just kind of the day it was offensively for both teams, which is a testament to their defenses, and their offenses continued to plug away and plug away, and ultimately it was the Cardinals that did just enough to pull off the 17-10 win. Yeah, again, a good win for them. Um, but, but, you know, you mentioned the, the lack of rushing yards. Well, that's net because sometimes he, like Josh Allen, them escaping the pocket, they run so far backwards that then you get sacked. And, you know, what should have been a five-yard sack is a 19-yard sack. It's, it's amazing. It's something they do because they feel they have the ability to get away. You know, Murray did one of those, I think, last night. I think it was Bosa who ended up catching him and sacking him for, for a long loss. So the, these guys have, the, again, the, the confidence in their legs that they can escape it, but going in the wrong direction for a while turns out to be monster losses at times, something those young quarterbacks need to work on. Yeah, Bosa got him for a 15-yard loss. He was sacked twice in all on the day. And the, the Arizona defense, which, hey, is quietly becoming – one of the better in the conference, if not in the entire league. They've got great young players. They've got some veterans they've added, like a J.J. Watt. They had four stops on fourth down yesterday of the 49ers offense, and that goes a long way toward preserving a win. I would have expected 17-10 at the end of the first quarter in this game. 17-10 final score, especially after we just talked about 47-42 pinball machine score between the Chargers and the Browns. I would not have expected this, but uh, you know, it just shows there still is a toughness and a mentality 
that that leans toward the defense in the NFC West, and you've got to be able to play offense and defense if you want to be among the best teams in that division, still the best one in football, I think. Well, I mean, we saw this San Francisco defense a couple of years ago before the injuries, before Bosa, you know, got hurt. This was a dominant defense, and they did it with a deep offensive or defensive line, something that Washington is trying, but it's not faring well in Washington at all. So this defense, you know, and I know they traded, uh, traded and got rid of some pieces since then, but this was a dominant defense, and that's what they're looking to get back to, and that's what's going to that's what's going to keep them in games, especially if Trey Lance is going to continue to be the starter for a while. We have to see where Garoppolo is with the calf. But, you know, you said you expected 17 to 10 after the first. I don't know if I did. Maybe maybe on the Cardinal side of scoring, but I didn't know what kind of scoring you would get from San Francisco with Trey Lance at quarterback. I, I really had no idea. You know, we, we haven't seen him start. We haven't seen a lead for an entire game. So, again, you rely on the defense, and the defense for San Francisco is doing a good job. Listen, if you hold somebody to 17 points, you should have a good chance of winning the game. But, unfortunately, when your offense scores 10, you don't. That's the way it goes. But from a defense, just how I mentioned for the Browns will be sick. And, quite honestly, even the Chargers defense watching that and going, oh, my God, look at all we gave up. You look at that 49er defense, they're going to be like, oh, from the, in that defensive room alone, holding Arizona to, to 17 points. And quite honestly, that's a pretty good Sunday. I, absolutely. And I think that if you would have told Kyle Shanahan yesterday morning you're going to hold Arizona to 17, he's thinking, hey, we're getting to three and two, and we're going to be factors yep. still in this division. And I'm, I, I uh, the Cardinals. Yeah, they're five and zero, and no one's thinking that. I, I who knows how long they're gonna stretch this out. They got the Browns at Cleveland on Sundays. Right. We previously mentioned that is not going to be an easy one. Then they got the Texans. Then they got the Packers on a short week Thursday night. That is not going to be an easy one. Then they have to go to San Francisco. They got the Panthers. They go at the Seahawks. They haven't played Seattle yet this year. They play them two times. They play at the Cowboys, which is looming as a huge game week seventeen. There's a lot of tests that are still on the schedule for the Arizona Cardinals. So uh, it's great they've won five in a row, and these wins early in the season are money in the bank. But at some point, they're going to be making some withdrawals, Mike. they got some tough games coming up. And, and I'm starting this week, Mike. I'm not going to go any further than this week because, again, a position I've been in on defenses that have played bad, like the Browns' defense did, and what this week will be like. This will not be a fun week for the Cleveland Brown defense by any stretch of the imagination. And not from coaches berating them, but from these professional athletes seeing how they felt they were embarrassed and giving up that amount of points. And now you got some uh, really some great athletes, especially Miles Garrett on that side of the ball with the Arizona Cardinals coming in and Kyler Murray and a ticked-off defense. I'm really looking forward to no further on, on the Arizona schedule than this Sunday against the Cleveland Browns and what this defense is going to bring after being embarrassed against the Chargers. And for the 49ers, they get an early bye, and then they come out of it with a Sunday night game against the Colts. They've got some winnable games coming up. They need to win some games. There's a question about who the quarterback will be. Here's Kyle Shanahan, coach of the 49ers, after the game talking about Trey Lance's performance in his first NFL start. I thought he did some really good things. Um, definitely wasn't perfect, which no one ever has been. Um, that first pick, I thought just sailed on him. He was going to the right spot, but just got away from him on that first drive. Um, you know, I thought, you know, overall, you know, I think if we could have done a little bit better around him, uh, I thought he did good enough to win. Do you go into the bye week now, do you now consider 
what you, what you want to do at quarterback? No, nothing's changed. That was just one game. It was a tough loss right there. And I'm going to talk to our whole team tomorrow and think of how we can get our whole team better coming back from the bye. It was the calf injury for Jimmy Garoppolo that kept him out of this game. And Garoppolo himself said last Sunday he hopes it's just a, a week or two kind of a thing before Kyle Shanahan uh, uh, gave him a, a big stack of saltine crackers and uh, water and uh, tried to get him to quit talking about it so they could hold some sort of strategic edge. So we'll see. We got two weeks now for Garoppolo to heal. And, you know, it's what we heard about Justin Fields and Andy Dalton. Dalton's the starter when he's healthy. Until he isn't, and we know it's always subject to change once the team sees enough from the young guy to make him the week-in and week-out starter. So, you tell me, Mike. They, they got the bye week, and Garoppolo's healthy. Who are you starting? Um, I, you know, I, I always want to see what the young guy can do, and I say you made the huge investment to go up to get to number three. You got you to pay off that investment, but I, I, I think that they've decided, based upon the locker room, and where the locker room is. And I, I saw some praise yesterday from Nick Bosa for Trey Lance. The locker room is behind Garoppolo. The locker room's got to flip to Lance before you can make Lance the starter if both are healthy. So I think for now, the question is, do they stay with Garoppolo? Does the locker room stay with Garoppolo? If so, then he's the guy. But that's, that's stuff that's going on behind the curtain. And Kyle Shanahan's going to have to have his finger on the pulse of his team because they won't tolerate a switch to Lance until they think Lance is the guy that gives them the best, best chance to win. Cause that's all they care about. They want the quarterback on the field that gives them the best chance to win. That's exactly right. To me, there, there is zero question. Garoppolo starts. I mean, I, 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 nobody says you have to get the payoff right away on the investment. You know, there, there are long-term investments. There's bonds, you know, you can let them sit for a while, you know, until they mature and then you can get an investment. You know, if I win a thousand dollars at the blackjack table, I'm not betting a thousand dollars the next hand. You know, I may do it over time. You don't have to invest in it right away unless, again, you're a Cincinnati with Burrow, you know, last year or with Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville teams, you know, that are building. This was a team that was in the Super Bowl not too long ago and a team trying to build back toward that. And to me, Trey Lance is not, and not his fault, but not ready to lead that team there where Garoppolo, while he isn't an unbelievably great quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, he is the better quarterback fit right now for a team and where this team wants to go. You have time to get return on your investment with Trey Lance. It doesn't have to be right now at the expense of him learning uh, his way and maybe getting a few losses along the way because that's what will eventually happen with a young quarterback. Yeah, I think Shanahan decided after week one, based upon the pulse of the locker room, that the best play is ride Garoppolo, and if he gets injured, then you use Lance. And uh, then when he comes back, you go with Garoppolo and Les Lance at some point has that moment that wins over the locker room, and it didn't happen yesterday. If they had beaten the Cardinals, maybe it would have. And as Shanahan said, it wasn't Lance's fault they didn't win, but if he had led them to victory, then maybe the locker room flips. I don't think they yep. flip yet, so I think they stick with Garoppolo when we see them on Sunday night, week seven, against the Colts. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars, Mike, and look, on Mondays, we almost always talk only about the games, but sometimes the news intervenes between Urban Meyer and now John Gruden. A couple of topics we need to touch on before we get back to more talk about the Sunday that was. So we'll talk Meyer and Gruden when PFT Live continues right after this. 
Irvin, how emotional, uh, emotionally draining was this week for you, considering what happened, and did you see any of that impact any of the players at all today? I didn't. That would be could ask them. Uh, I apologized earlier in the week, um, and uh, players had a really excellent week of practice and put ourselves really in position to win a game at one point. That's Urban Meyer, coach of the Jaguars, after his team fell to 0-5. Now 20 straight losses, only the second team in NFL history to lose 20 straight. I thought it was the third, but apparently the Chicago Cardinals from 1942 to 1945 have gotten a reprieve. They lost 29 straight, but the losses in 44 were a result of the combined Cardinals and Steelers due to World War II. Those don't count officially, so the Cardinals are off the hook. <laughs> For their 29 straight losses. It's the Yuccaneers from 76 and 77 with 26. And now it's the Jaguars from 2020 and 21 with 20 straight losses. That's not good. 15 of them aren't on Meyer, but five of them are. And, Mike, we mention all of this because, and as I said last night, this isn't over. People think it's kind of over because you know how we are with football. There's something that bubbles up. It's a big story. and We move on. There's other stuff. There's other things. The Meyer stuff isn't going away. People in the organization are watching this for two reasons. It's all traces. Forget about the video and the photos. Those aren't the problem for Meyer. The problem for Meyer is the abandonment of his post, not flying back with the team after a tough loss to the Bengals, not being on the plane. Tony Dungy explained it very well to me yesterday. What could have happened on that plane. You could have fights on the plane. You could have arguments on the plane. You could have someone get sick on the plane. You could have the plane get diverted somewhere else because of weather. That's your team. That's your ship. You're the captain. You don't abandon it. That's what started the trouble for Meyer. And people in the organization are watching two things, Mike. One, what he did or didn't say to Shad Khan last Monday when he got questioned. Was he truthful? And how aggressively is the league, or not the league, but the team looking into it? And secondly... What's next? Because it's been one thing after another with Meyer since he took that job. What comes next? What's the next misstep? And is that the one that gets Shad Khan to say, all right, pull the plug. We're done. We got to move on. That's what people in the organization are paying attention to. They've got the game in London this week. They have the bye after that. And as I said last night, this is a situation that merits ongoing monitoring because it's not over yet. Well, and listen, I think one of the things you said there that is correct is this, was, this wasn't the first thing. You know, you hire the strength coach, uh, the former Iowa strength coach who has all that baggage. You hire your, your friend in, in Tim Tebow. Again, it's not Tim Tebow's fault. He was looking for an opportunity, and Urban gave him one, and a lot of people questioned why. And then this, without question, 1,000%, the issue from a player's standpoint, and I have never seen it before, how does a coach not fly back? Now, listen, if there's some unbelievable emergency in your life that we would all say, oh, man, you got to stay, stay. But this obviously wasn't it. I have never seen a coach not go back. And all the things you mentioned that could go wrong on a plane going back, agreed. But just the fact, be with your friggin' team. You haven't won a game. You know what? You got a little closer in that one. You played pretty well, at least for half. Be with your team. You're the leader of that team. 
And then going forward, listen, the players are joking about it because what happened in the club? I mean, that's something he's got to deal with with his wife. His players aren't going to be oh, – they're going to they're going to goof around and mock that more than anything else, in all honesty, of what went on in the club. They had to be stunned when he wasn't on the plane coming back. And then quite honestly, as far as the games go, players revert back to concern, being concerned about themselves. Okay, how do I make myself play well? What do I do during the week? You know, a lot of times you're dealing with your assistant coaches during the week. Depending on who the, the coach is, if the head coach also runs the offense, obviously the quarterback deals a lot with that person. But for everybody else on that team, Mike, I'm dealing with the defensive coordinator, my defensive line coach, the offense is with their offensive line coach or the wide receiver coach. That's who you're dealing with. That's who you're, you're doing your game plan with, and that's who you're getting ready to play with as far as workout and walk through and everything else like that. You know, so they had their fun with him. I'm sure we heard about the laughing that went on, you know, kind of behind his back and I think even in front of him in some cases. But the leadership and not being on that plane, the other couple of moves that he's done and the fact that they're still losing – Shad Khan has to be keeping an eye on that. But one thing Shad Khan doesn't want to do, nobody does. You don't want to pay a guy tens of millions of dollars to not be there, right? I mean, this team hasn't won in a while. They're not winning now. And is Shad Khan going to say, okay, I'm going to do this thing again? Oh, this guy, millions and millions of dollars and bring in somebody else. But you do have to keep an eye on how is he holding that room? How is he holding that locker room? Yeah. And, Mike, what bubbled up last Tuesday before Shad Khan issued his statement, the notion that the Jaguars are looking for a possible avenue to terminate Urban Meyer's contract for cause and shut off whatever he's still owed. People think it's around $10 million a year, maybe five or up to six years. And ultimately, if there's a fight, it gets resolved by the commissioner, which kind of stacks right. the deck in the Jaguars' favor anyway. But that's why I mentioned this idea that that people are paying attention to the question of what Meyer said to the owner when Meyer was on the ropes. Because one thing I've detected from Meyer, he's one of those guys that that thinks that he can, if he talks long enough, eventually say the right thing to get him out of a jam. <laughs> well, in the process of talking and talking and talking, you may say something that isn't true, something that can be objectively debunked with facts. That's what people are paying attention to, and that's why. Because if they catch him in a lie, and I'm not saying he lied, but I am saying they're very curious as to whether or not they got the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth from Urban Meyer. But if they can catch him in some sort of a lie, that can bolster the case that they would eventually make to Roger Goodell to say, we should not have to pay this man the balance of his contract. That's the chess match and maybe it's a little checkers and maybe it's a little chicken on top of it, but that's the chess match, Mike, that's going on behind the curtain right now. Oh, listen, if they can if they can fire him with cause and not owe him anything, then I think it would be done sooner rather than later. I don't think right this minute, but you know, remember, at the end of the day, it's about wins and losses as well, and his losses keep stacking up. Now, I don't know if there would be a timing issue to have to do it if you want to do it for cause. That stuff I don't know about. You would know, you'll know more about uh, th than I will. But, you know, you did hear stories like that this was planned for a while, but then you hear stories where he said, I was just doing it to clear my head. So, well, which is it? One sounds like it was planned. The other sounds like it was, you know, a little more of a quicker decision. Plus, just to hear him say that, 
that irked me as a former player as well. To clear your head, what the hell do you think we're going through as well? We're the ones on the field <laughs> losing, you know, and, and you want to you not come back with us because you want to clear your head? I, I mean, I, I, there, were, there was so much about that that was some was just like, okay, that's his personal problem that he has to deal with. But some of it was like, wait a minute, this is the leader of our team. And boy, he is acting anything but like a leader right now. And Mike, he gave the inconsistent stories on back-to-back questions in his press conference on Wednesday. He started with, because he was asked point blank, did you get approval from Shad Khan? He didn't answer that question. He said, I talked to Trent Baalke, the GM, about this right. way in advance. Well, it's not like Trent Baalke's going to tell him. No, that's part of the problem. Yeah. The emperor rolls into Jacksonville. He was the emperor of Gainesville. Mm-hmm. He was the emperor of Columbus. You're not the emperor of the NFL team. The owner is, and you can't circumvent the owner, and you surround yourself with a bunch of yes-men. What's Trent Baalke going to say? Well, Urban, you probably shouldn't do that. You probably shouldn't plan to take a couple of days off four weeks into the season. You know, NFL coaches work a lot harder than plenty of college coaches do. Baalke's not going to tell him that, and and I I think there are inconsistencies that we've seen. The question is, what did he say to Shad Khan, and how much can they prove that anything he said on Monday of last week wasn't the truth and isn't sufficiently material that they can say, you're fired, you're fired for cause, and we're confident that the commissioner will side with us. Now, Meyer was the coach who dominated much of the news from Monday into Friday, but it was Friday afternoon, out of the blue, a report from the Wall Street Journal and statements eventually issued by the league and by the Raiders that John Gruden, back in 2011, when he wasn't employed by the NFL or any of its teams, sent an email to Bruce Allen, the former Washington executive. This is one piece of paper that has come to light out of 650,000 emails that were examined in the Washington football team investigation. That's a different issue, but there are people around the league saying, how do they manage to bury everything as it relates to Daniel Snyder and the Washington football team? None of that evidence comes out. And the one thing that comes out, is an email that was sent by somebody who doesn't even work for the team. Again, it doesn't justify, it doesn't excuse, but it's something people are paying attention to, and it's a fair question. How does this happen? But it happened, and it got out. And Gruden used a racial trope in reference to NFLPA Executive Director DeMora Smith. Gruden has apologized for it. He's spoken to various different beat writers about it. He's acknowledged that he had some comments about Roger Goodell in a different email that maybe weren't flattering and stuff about owners. And, you know, Mike, look, you never know where these crazy stories are going to come from. They happen. And uh, and John Gruden's got a problem for himself right now. Well, listen, he does. And we were we were teammates for a bit uh, at ESPN. And uh, so I, I know, John, I don't know him well enough to know the character of this. Now, as is talked about with the racial comments, he's saying it was more along the lines of, of lying the way the, the term he used was more that he used for people who he felt were lying but obviously saying if people took it that way that he was sorry for it after saying I don't even remember because a lot of years ago remember doing it and so th- there's there's people just shaking their head saying just someone that won't own up to it uh, at all and then there are others you know I listened to Tony Dungy you know talk about it last night I listened to Mike Tirico Mike Tirico worked in a booth with John Gruden for I think seven years uh, at ESPN in in, in in kind of talking about John and his thoughts about John and John's character. I don't know John well enough to know his intent with that at all, uh, but we all know uh, that things you say in the past were, are going to, that, that can come back just as this one did, as you mentioned, one sheet of paper out of 650,000. 
Uh, and, he, and he's apologized for it. And many think he's not taking ownership of it, just saying, I meant it this way, but if you took it that way, then I'm sorry for it. So I think it's going to be one of those things where some people are just are just going to say he's wrong and won't admit he's wrong. Others are going to say, okay, you know what? Let's let's move on from this. You know, understand it's a bad thing, but like you know, like like again, people listen to Tony Dungy and Mike Tirico. I think they were going more along those lines, if I remember correctly, from them talking about it last night. And eventually, this is going now. I don't know. Do you think the league is going to eventually discipline John Gruden for this? I think that it will be difficult for the league to do it, and I think whatever sanction is imposed will be the result of some sort of a joint agreement that Gruden does not try to fight or does not push back against in any way, maybe some sort of a significant fine, maybe some sort of a donation, something along the lines of John Gruden writing a check to atone for a sin from 10 years ago versus an actual suspension. I was told last night that that this will be one of the major topics discussed at the weekly Monday morning meeting at 345 Park Avenue where they go over the big issues. Usually there are issues coming out of the games. This is going to be a discussion that will occur. One person with a very high position in the league believes that there won't be a suspension. Uh, you know, part of the problem is, Mike, how do you justify it? He wasn't employed by the league or any of its teams right. in 2011 when he did this. And the Raiders, from their perspective, what can they do? He wasn't employed by the Raiders and wouldn't be again employed by the Raiders for more than six years. Now, there are certain ways you can lawyer protections for yourself into your contracts by having, for example, a coach sign a statement that, there's nothing out there that I've said or done that if it were to come to light that we don't currently know about. And if there was something that contradicts that, then that could open the door for a four-cause termination, if that's even what Mark Davis, the owner of the team, would want to do. But that's the thing. He, he's right. shown that he wants John Gruden to be his coach. It would be different yep. if he was thinking, man, i got to get rid of this guy. If only I could have some, some lucky bounce come my way and I can dump him and not have to pay him. But, but there's been no vibe from Davis that he wants to get rid of John Gruden. So I think that it would be difficult for the league to do anything because I studied the personal conduct policy. It would be tough to discipline him for something that he did when he wasn't employed by the NFL or any of its teams. Right. And I don't think the Raiders are motivated to do it. And there's a belief high up in the league office that he won't be suspended. So, you know, it's just a question of what kind of, of understanding does Gruden in the league reach as a, as a gesture, a significant financial gesture that will underscore his apology. I think that's what's ultimately going to happen. And then, and then obviously, public opinion, right? As, as some people won't believe him and don't think that the apology was enough or that he meant it, and others that will say, yeah, we, we understand what he meant there and we're going to move on. So there's going to be a lot of public opinion involved in this. And then we all know what controls things after that at times, sponsors. Are there any sponsors that do anything because of this? You know, we all know that public opinion, this person says that, this person says that, doesn't do a whole lot, but all of a sudden some money people get involved and say, you know what, no more money should come in your way or come in this, your, 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 organization's way or whatever. And I don't know if it's going to happen in this situation, but that that's a way where outside of the, the purview of your workplace where something can have an effect. And obviously we haven't seen any of that yet, or at least I haven't seen any of that yet. So I have no idea if any of that's going to happen. 
Well, and Mike, the other side of it, too, is the locker room. What's the locker room going to do about it? How are they going to handle it? How are they going to react? And there were some bits and pieces that came out yesterday from players after the game. But I'm reminded of when Riley Cooper, who was playing for the Eagles at the right. time, was caught yep. on camera shouting a, a slur at a Kenny Chesney concert. It was Mike Vick who eventually stood up and and vouched for Riley Cooper within the Eagles, and that put out the fire because there was one hell of a fire in the Eagles locker room after that happened. And uh, Gruden may need something like that. And, and look, I know we got to take a break, but it's only fair for us to play some of what John Gruden said yesterday. Let's hear yeah. from, from Gruden after the game, and then we may have a little more to say about that on the other side. You know, I'm not going to answer all these questions today. I think I've addressed it already. Uh, I can't remember a lot of the things that transpired 10 or 12 years ago, but um, I stand here uh, in front of everybody apologizing. I know I'm not, uh, I don't have an ounce of, of racism in me. I'm a, a guy that takes pride in leading people together, and I'll continue to do that for the rest of my life. And again, I apologize to D. Smith and anybody out there that, that I have offended. Miles Simmons, who works with us at PFT, and he's on PFTPM a couple of times a week. We did the show on Friday just after this broke. And, you know, one of his concerns is, and he wrote a great item on it on Friday night, if you want to check it out at profootballtalk.com, using phrases like, I have no racist bone in me, there's not an ounce of racism in me, I don't have a blade of racism in me, or I'm the least racist person you would ever encounter there of others others who have said things like that that undercuts in the opinion of miles simmons the apology that you don't need to add that to bolster yourself just apologize say what you need to say seek the reckoning and the atonement and move forward don't 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 give us an excuse that really can't be proven objectively i think that that was miles point and he articulated it much better than i ever could and you can see the item at pft but that would be my only my only criticism of what gruden said yesterday don't retreat to that vouching for yourself let others vouch for you but don't vouch for yourself in a situation like that so so again that's that's all what he's saying publicly but you know, you made the point earlier, and, and it's true, and I've, I've said you spend more time in the locker room with your teammates and coaches than what you do with your family. So what's going on in that locker room? You know, there's, there's with practice squad, you know, over 70 players. There's coaches. There's training staff. There's other support staff that are all there. Uh, that you And everybody has a different opinion, may have a different opinion. Some may accept what uh, John said, and others may not. So it, it will be interesting. you got a lot, of, a lot of time left to go on what he said in the locker room to the players and the coaches and the support staff and what they all think in there and how it goes forward. Yeah, and we'll see how it plays out. And they lost to the Bears on Sunday, and I've seen yeah. some in the media already suggest that that may be evidence of how the locker room reacted to it. I think it's too soon to come to that conclusion, though. we got to see how the yeah. Raiders do going forward and whether to what extent Gruden is able to truly put this behind him uh, and we're still you know, less than 72 hours into this, so we'll see how it plays out. Let's go ahead and take a break. It's time for superlatives when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.